Hello and welcome to the County Line, discussions of party politics from the Washoe County Republican Party. Give now me a sec to clean my ears up here. Yeah, yeah, do your yeah, thing, these, pal. These things are prosthetic and uh, I want to make sure I don't get any gunk on your nice, uh, your nice headphones there. Wow, man. That's incredible. I have never in my life experienced a moment like this. Really? Never. No, this is found of this world. Uh, thank you, you for just that? being comfortable and just doing it. That is so <laughs> rad, dude. Yeah, man. It's, uh, it's just a two I am. Sam Brown here with us on the county line. What a treat. Oh, my God. Uh, you just blew my mind a minute ago, and, and I'm processing what I've seen. Will you just tell me about yourself? Tell me who you are, where you came from, and, and just how we got here. <laughs> well, I'll try and make that as uh, short a, a background intro as possible. Um, born and raised in Arkansas. Uh, my father was in the military. I was fortunate enough to get to go to West Point. Uh, we were the first class to start right after 9-11. And that put me on a path that obviously kind of intersected Afghanistan. Wow. Um, so I graduated West Point in 2006, deployed to Afghanistan in 2008. Wow. Came back pretty quickly uh, with wounds from combat. Uh-huh. And, um, and so that... All my recovery took place in Texas, so okay. I've lived most of my adult life in Texas, and then moved out here to Reno uh, three years ago. And and so we're kind of here to talk about some of that stuff a little more in depth. Who you are, those wounds that you're discussing, because this is just audio, so the audience has no idea. Uh, but a moment ago, you took your ears off to to go into the headphones. Yeah, and. For you, this is a moment of day-to-day living. This is just what it is. For me, I saw a man take his ears off for the first time in my life. <laughs> Sorry, I could have done a little better job warning you on that one. Um, uh, yeah, it's just it's uh, just it's who I am. I'm I'm a man with prosthetic ears. Tell me how this happened, Sam. Well, it's um, this happened. Uh, this happened in 2008. It was September, and I was in Kandahar, Afghanistan. Um, and uh, there's there's a whole long, big backstory as to kind of the build up to it all. But but essentially, uh, you know, we we were American, uh, you know, Army fighting forces. Uh-huh. Except we weren't really fighting. We were there as part of a counterinsurgency strategy called you know winning hearts and minds. And so, okay. a lot of what we did was. Um, like I would go survey a village to, you know, find out what kind of crops they had, you know, what was their governance structure like, you know, did they have schools for the children? And, huh. and, and then we'd sort of try and develop a plan with um, non-governmental organizations on how we could, you know, enhance the things that we thought were going to bring, you know, democracy and peace and stuff to the locals. Sure. Um, so as part of that, uh, this is, like I said, September, 2008, um, there was this big push to try and bring more electrical power to southern Afghanistan. It's a very dark, uh-huh. well, I mean, the whole country is. But uh, there's a river called Helmand River um, that had a dam. It wasn't maximizing the kind of the hydroelectric, you know, throughput that it could. And so they were bringing in new new turbines for that. And so our mission in this kind of two-week time period was to go out on, on, a, on a section of road that the they had to bring this convoy through. It was the... I believe I read it was like the largest convoy operation since World War II. Mm-hmm. It involved Canadians and Brits and Afghans and U.S. forces and just all sorts of forces coming together for this. Wow. And so our little part of that was to just basically provide security over several mile stretch of this road as they were going through our, our battalion's uh, area of operations. Mm-hmm. And 
the follow-on part of that was after they finished dropping this turbine off at the at the dam um, and they sort of brought the convoy back through to wherever they were going, we went out to provide security again. This was about a 10-day gap between the going out and coming back. And it was on the way back, guess what happened? Sure, yeah. <laughs> the folks that didn't want us there saw this huge convoy go. They knew they had to return at some point. So really this was just kind of a target of opportunity wow. to go out and attack. Just you know, to these, kill, these, just to Yeah, hurt. These, these forces that were in, uh, you know, in their area. And, that, and, and, you know, we were exerting some power and control and influence and, and the Taliban didn't want that. Yeah. And so um, they had set up some, am, some ambush opportunities, laid out some roadside bombs and stuff like that in this interim period when no one was able to kind of just monitor this road 24 seven. And so on this day, uh, September 4th, um, we went out there, um, hit an IED with one of our vehicles. Fortunately, no one was killed or, or badly wounded. Um, and then we just kind of sat in place and waited for these friendly forces to come through. Uh-huh. And it was at that time uh, that an ambush kicked off. And so I had some a buddy, um, a classmate from West Point, was just kind of north of our position. And his platoon was attacked with mortar rounds off the mountain, the ridges, um, just kind of northeast of his position. And so he's relaying this information back to me. And my initial thought was, hey, it's not a real big deal. We're in armored vehicles. They'll lob a couple of mortar rounds and probably run. Well, it didn't happen. They just kept dropping just mortar kept rounds. Just kept coming. Jesus. And so um, then he kind of calls back and relays the message. Hey, now we're receiving direct fire, like machine gun fire, uh-huh. from a village to their east. And then a quick update a moment later, hey, now we're seeing machine gun fire from the West. And in my mind, it's like, oh man, this is, you know, this is a classic complex ambush. You know, I've got, I've got a buddy and friendly forces under fire um, and, and asked if they needed support. And then he came back affirmative. Yeah. So then I begin to maneuver my vehicle and a couple others that were under my command uh, up to go support him. And that's, that's when everything happened. Wow. And everything, we don't need details here. Of course, but it's it's left you quite severe. I mean, you seem like you've got some head to toe injury. Yeah, it's um, yeah, in, in short, you know, we hit we hit the roadside bomb and and um, unfortunately, just, you know, due to the circumstances of it, it, it basically hit where the fuel tank was. Uh-huh. And so I was soaked in, in diesel fuel and just yeah. lit on fire. Kind of, you know, it was dusk and there I was just you know, a human human torch in the desert. My God, man. And I got to tell you something, as you recount that, it's again a moment where I am shook and shocked to my core. And you're describing just, well, it was a classic ambush. I, I mean, dude, the level of stress that that our military endures just just existing in a regular day. And now all of a sudden... An ambush happens, and cognitively, you know what's happening. Oh, yeah. And you ran straight toward it. My God, sir, I could not salute you any harder if I had five arms. Well, yeah, you know, I, I appreciate that. It's, um, it's a bizarre thing to think about when you put it in those terms. You know, it's what, it's what I believe most of us who did serve, you know, were, whether we realized it at the time or not, were you know, conditioned and, and just, you know, in our heart and our mind and in training to, to be able to do when the time came, you know, it's a, there's a, there's a sense of duty and, you know, you don't always have to believe in the mission. Um, 
but when there's when there's other friendly forces, you know, under fire, duty calls. Your boys. Well, tell me, I, I want to get a sense of now your life and your senses. How, how do your eyes see the world? Do you see similarly than before this occurred? Do, do, is your vision, I mean, your ears come off? I mean, tell me how this <laughs> works, man. I don't, I don't know how to, how to describe in, you know, just kind of physiological terms how and why I can still see the way I see. Um, you know, we can't really show a picture of, of what my Humvee looked like, but it was, it was shredded. I mean, you know, we're talking about an armored vehicle that the roof was just peeled off, almost like a, like a tuna can. Um, the turret had been, you know, blown out of the turret ring itself. Um, the entire right side of the vehicle was completely detached from the frame. Um, and, and you see, you just see a twisted metal yeah. in this. And the bizarre thing is I didn't have one, like one wound of metal penetrating my skin. Amazing. It was, it was just very bizarre. Um, all my wounds were, were burns. Um, I remember, so as soon as it blew up, I had this, uh, you know, this moment of <laughs> just realizing we, we hit the roadside bomb and, and I was on fire. All I could see was flames. I couldn't see anything else. I couldn't hear anything but my own voice just like screaming in this in agony. And the first thing I did was I had a recognition that I encountered something that I couldn't overcome on my own. Uh. You know, through this point, I'd, you know, I'd overcome the challenges to be able to, to get into West Point. I'd been through ranger school. I'd been through, you know, all my kind of pre-deployment training. Um, there wasn't really anything that I was afraid of or that I didn't believe I could overcome. Yeah. And in that moment, I knew I was there. Like I was up against the, <laughs> the biggest challenge of my life. I'm finally here. <laughs> Something has finally beaten Sam Brown. I've, I've arrived. Look and, what it took, man. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, and that's one of the encouragements. But uh, where I found strength was in that moment of, of just being completely crushed, um, you know, psychologically and physically, like, I went to the only place that I, I believed I could have hope. And I, I literally threw my arms in the air and I just screamed, Jesus save me. Oh, because at that point I couldn't, I, I couldn't do anything for myself. I tried to top and drop and roll. I couldn't put my, I couldn't put out the fire because as I said, once again, I mean, I was soaked in diesel fuel. Like you, you can't just smother that away or splash yeah. some water on it, and make it go away. And so I'm, I'm just kind of, you know, writhing there in the, in the dust and sand of this desert and, and I'm going through just this process of like trying to put it out and trying to maintain hope. And I could maintain hope. And you know, I'm just, I'm thinking like everyone else is dead. Um, the most isolated place I've ever been in my life. Right. And, and I remember thinking these three things. Um, how long does it take to burn to death? What's the transition from this life to the next going to be like? Oh, and then I gave up the will to live. My God. And that was the most powerful moment of my life. I gave up responsibility for my own life. You were going to just let it burn. I let it go. And in that next moment, I heard a voice and it said, sir, I've got you. And it wasn't just some voice from somebody from a different vehicle. It was yeah. a voice of my gunner uh -huh. who unbeknownst to me at that time had been in that very turret that I told you had been blown out of the vehicle uh -huh. and how he was still <laughs> alive oh, person. And, he's, wow. and, and he's the one that's now coming oh. to my rescue and he's smothering me with sand and just been putting out the flames. It was in that very moment that I went from complete isolation, zero hope to 
absolute faith oh. that not only am I going to survive, but there's purpose in all of it. Wow. You've got me weeping, brother. Uh, I got to say, man, I, I'm going to ask a question. Do you, you credit all of this to Christ? I do. Well, I'm going to just put this out then because it takes so much introspective for most people to come anywhere near the levels of isolation that you experienced in a, a moment. Uh, I won't bore us with the story of my saving because while it's very powerful for me, it's nothing like what I just heard here. Uh, I'm going to cut with some levity by telling you, God damn, you're a handsome guy. <laughs> I mean, when you're really just sitting and looking at me, you're a handsome man. And I'm glad as I can't say the word, but I'm that glad that Jesus stepped in to intervene here, Sam. Uh, this is a great story. It's like nothing I've ever heard. For me, this was the greatest day of triumph. Yeah. Um, <laughs> while physically, you know, it ushered in years of pain and, and just, you know, just slugging out through surgeries and therapy and, you know, just uh, the fear of the unknown of what does recovery look like. Mm. Um, it was also the day where out of this experience was born a motto I live by, which is the life I live is not my own. Uh. And whenever it's given me so much freedom. Um, and that doesn't mean that I, I don't, you know, live life intentionally and try and, you right. know, try and do the right thing and, and, this and means you're looking for what that purpose and intention is now. I mean, right. What a beautiful way to live. And, and, and so as a result of that and, and, and the faith that I do have, because I am completely convinced that God saved my life for a reason, I'd have hope, which gives me purpose. And, um, unfortunately there's a lot of folks and it's not just military. It's, I mean, we all, we all suffer. Uh, we all and, experience trauma. And, and I see a lot of folks that they haven't encountered the author of hope yet in a way that helps them to slug through it and to believe that there is a better day. Mm -hmm. And, and that breaks my heart because I can't manufacture that for anybody else. Um, I can, I can encourage, I can point, I can point the way that was for me, Yeah, but I can't, I can't create that miracle uh, in someone else's heart and in their mind. And in some ways, um, you know, it sounds like a really tragic moment of my life, but it, it made surrendering easy. That is amazing. That is probably the most profound way of describing one's own saving that I have ever heard in my life. That was incredible. Uh, I think that just the mere act of you speaking is now a miracle for others because sometimes people just need to understand that there are moments in life that could be much worse. And sometimes people need to understand this moment that the man described, even though I've never had it in a military setting, I've felt the moment. And maybe we need to really analyze what that moment's doing there for us and what we're supposed to be doing with it a little more deeply. I believe those moments are opportunities. Um, in our society, in this culture where, you know, it's, it's fame, fortune, beauty, you know, those are the things that are praised. Um, and we, you know, through the comforts of, of what it, you know, what a good life 
looks and feels like as an American compared to, you know, other places where mm. they don't have the things we have here. Like um, light. Yeah, <laughs> something as simple as light, right? You know, refrigerators to, you know, yeah. be able to store food in. Uh-huh. Um, you know, just all the things that when you stop and think about what do we have on just a daily basis that 90% of the world doesn't have, mm-hmm. um, it's it's created a, I believe, almost like a... Um, a weakness of our own mind that we, that we look at our past suffering in anticipation of any future suffering as this terribly negative event in our life mm-hmm. where really it's an opportunity to grow and to, and to be stronger and to, and to then have an asset, which is something that is relatable to someone else where you can help them get through it. Mm-hmm. And we've got, it's, we've got this perverted, you know, just viewpoint on what suffering is. It's an opportunity. It's not necessary. It doesn't have to be this thing that just negatively defines our entire life. And it doesn't have to be something that we run from. Yeah, There is going to be suffering. That's a part of a natural human condition. Learn hey, congratulations. You're it. alive. Wow. You will suffer at some point. Everyone. Wow. What a spectacular man you are. You're so right. We should be running right toward it, and we should be asking. I mean, look at what happened when your friend called out for his suffering. You ran for it by your nature. Now, it's very interesting to me that you were given a story that you could create yourself, and you could simultaneously not create yourself at all. You could have never put yourself in a situation to burn in an exploding vehicle while simultaneously not taking any shrapnel and living. You, you don't get that choice. It, it could only be, I mean, for me, it could only be God. I, I don't know. I, right. Maybe for somebody else, eh, that's luck. But the, what you're describing does not sound like luck right down to the voice. The one parallel I will draw is in a moment of myself where I had a gun to my head although in this case, I was holding it myself. I was just considering it like one option. Yeah, this is just one option in my shit life. They're going to make me edit that out, but whatever you do. <laughs> and, and I thought to myself, well, it doesn't really feel that sad, so I'm going to see what this, what this looks like. I took a selfie with the gun up there. And man, when I looked at it, it was the saddest guy I ever saw, still to this day, the saddest face I've ever seen on a human. And a voice came into my head in that moment, my own voice, uh, although I knew it was not me creating the thoughts. And it said, Brandon, I have been with you through every good and bad thing you've ever done. And if you do this now, you are walking out on me. Mm. Now, when you start describing the voice and how it comes through as God, but suddenly your gunner is standing in the figure of the sunshine lifting you up. This is the moment history is made of. Movies that will last a thousand years are made from moments like your life. You don't, you don't get to choose that moment. It happened to you, and God bless you for embracing it and coming home and telling us what it's really about to be American. Just think what this world could be if we had the, the humility to allow other people to come alongside us and help lift us up when we're down. My God. I think we're all just... We're all looking for hope. Sometimes maybe we forget that we can be hope. And this is true. Sam, you're going to be the keynote speaker for the Lincoln Day dinner coming up. Uh, I don't think they could have chosen a finer human, a finer soldier, a finer man. I've had 20, 21 and a half minutes here with you. Uh, 
and I just love you so much, man. Appreciate that. It's, um, give, give God the glory. <laughs> we love you, Papa. Yes, we do. Sam Brown, thanks for being with us on the county line today. All right, Brandon. Appreciate your time. To make contact with the Washoe County Republican Party or the county line, please call 775-827-1900 or visit www.washogop.org.